In the name of one God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Perhaps you've had, I know I have, I've heard uh, different sermons over the years, and occasionally there is one that particularly stays with me, or perhaps there's a phrase from that particular sermon uh, that, that resonates, that shines light, perhaps on something that I've sort of seen and known for, for some time, but, but helps me see it uh, in, a, in a new and clearer and more significant way. And as I, as I share all that with you, this is not an opportunity for you when you go out today to tell me this wasn't one of those sermons. Uh, but I, you know, I, I can remember such experiences myself, and one in particular, uh, Nelson Koscheski was the dean of the cathedral in Charleston, South Carolina, St. Luke and St. Paul, and it was a sermon he preached. It was a, an epiphany service of lessons and carols, and uh, the combined choirs of the Diocese of South Carolina were there. Sir David Wilcox was the conductor of the choirs that day. And Nelson was the preacher, and he preached on the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel. And perhaps you remember, in the fourth chapter, Jesus is driven out uh, into the wilderness, and he is tempted by the devil, and uh, through the power of God, the presence of God, the grace of God, uh, he does not fall prey to the temptations, and then he returns, and as he returns, he goes to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he was given the scroll to read. And he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And there are the words which perhaps you remember as well. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, uh, release for the captives, recovery uh, of sight uh, to the blind, uh, release uh, for prisoners, and the year and the day of the Lord's favor. And then he says the words, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And if you remember how that um, goes on, the people at first, they marvel at the words which Jesus spoke and the graciousness with which he spoke those words. But then Jesus goes on and he says, doubtless um, you will quote this proverb to me in time, a physician heal thyself, as he goes on to speak uh, about his rejection and his crucifixion. And we hear that the people are so absolutely incensed at what Jesus has to say that they drive him out of the synagogue and they drive him to the brow of a hill and they're going to throw him off uh, the brow of the hill. But we hear that it was not uh, his time and Jesus passes uh, through the crowd. And, and I share all that, way, all that with you because as Nelson uh, preached on this, the words which he said that day remain with me still. He said the people wanted Jesus to be a good Jewish boy. Uh, but he wasn't uh, a good Jewish boy. He was a Jewish boy that, that came into the midst of the people and he said, I am the fulfillment. And if you have a problem with that, you have a problem. Because I am the fulfillment. Uh, and I remember that and I'm mindful of those words today. Because we read just a moment ago from the 10th chapter of Mark's Gospel. 
Uh, and in this, we see that Jesus um, enters into and addresses uh, some challenging and some thorny topics, whether it be in our time, and they were equally challenging and thorny topics in Jesus' time. And we see that as he is making his way toward Jerusalem, there is the invitation to the people of his day. There's the invitation to you and to me to be people um, who are followers of Jesus, uh, who not only hear and receive the words which he says, but, but people who are shaped and fashioned and formed not only by the truth of what he says, but shaped and fashioned and formed by our relationship with him. He is on his way to Jerusalem. In this 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, Jesus addresses the issues of marriage, of children, and possessions. Uh, very uh, all-encompassing. And we hear that the Pharisees come to Jesus and they place this question to him in an effort to trap him. Uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And this is a, a topic of Jesus' day, and, and not just of Jesus' day, our day, but it goes back to, uh, and Jesus uh, mentions the 24th chapter of Deuteronomy. Moses uh, had addressed this issue with the people, and, and in addressing this issue with the people, God had, or not God had, God had this already all figured out, actually. Moses, uh, Moses had attempted to uh, find uh, a way to balance the design and the will and the intention of God uh, along with um, the reality of the human condition on the ground uh, and trying in some way and in some fashion um, to maintain and to uphold the truth and the ideal while also dealing um, pastorally uh, with broken sinners like you and like me. And Jesus, in response to their question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, uh, asks them, of course, the question, uh, or basically makes the statement, uh, you know uh, how we have addressed this uh, in our tradition. And in the tradition of Jesus' day, there were basically um, two schools, the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel and this approach to divorce. And basically, uh, one of them said that the only reason allowed for divorce is unchastity. Uh, and the other school um, said uh, anything that the man finds indecent in his wife uh, is grounds um, for divorce. So you can see we had a wide spectrum there present in Jesus' day. But one of the things we see happening is this. Jesus is not um, sucked in by their question, sucked into becoming a, a legislator or a lawmaker in the midst of them. And in fact, takes it um, before um, the book of Deuteronomy before the law uh, given by Moses. And the law given by Moses basically sought to do this. Uh, and the reality uh, of God's design and the reality of the ways in which we fall short of that, he had sought to come up uh, with a response that was as equitable um, as possible and a response that, that brought some um, modicum uh, of, of resolution that, that lessened some uh, of the impact and, and the havoc that this had on people in their their lives. But Jesus, uh, not sucked in, goes uh, before that and speaks to the actual design and intention from God from the very beginning, as he quotes uh, from the book of Genesis, as he quotes uh, from that which we read just a moment ago, the, the will and the design of God from the very beginning, that we would be people who are in relationship. 
people who are in relationship with God, people who are in relationship with one another, that God has created the male and female in his image, that his intention and will is that the two come together and become one flesh, uh, and that that union, that that marriage between man and a woman would be something uh, which would last uh, a lifetime. And as I, uh, Jesus uh, doesn't soften that, he doesn't uh, lessen that, but states that with absolute um, clarity, not only with the Pharisees, but we hear that he makes that perfectly clear with his followers. And as I share that with you this morning, one of the things that I want to make absolutely clear uh, is that I have absolutely no uh, desire or intention to, to bash or, or to shame or in any way diminish um, those who are divorced, those who have experienced this um, firsthand. Uh, because the reality also of the scriptures that is made clear again and again and again is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, it's not just some people. Um, it's absolutely every one of us that has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not only that, as I, as I thought about this, as I reflected uh, on this, I was mindful as well of the teaching of Jesus that it is not um, simply our actions uh, that make us sinful, but it's also the intentions of our minds and the intentions of our hearts as well uh, that make us sinful. And I, and I thought about uh, whatever married couple, regardless of how many years they've been married, if they haven't committed adultery in their hearts, they've at the very least committed murder um, at one point um, or another. The, the, the point being um, that there is no um, taking away the, the good design and desire and intention of God while also uh, wrestling with and grappling with uh, the broken human condition. And as I share all of that, as we reflect on all of that this morning, uh, we also hear that children um, are brought to Jesus. And Jesus begins to bless the children. And the disciples uh, are indignant and try to shoo the children away. And in Jesus' response, uh, what I hope that you'll hear is, is really the key to interpreting um, this particular passage and, and a key in understanding our relationship with God. God. As the children um, are brought to Jesus, we hear that Jesus takes them in his arms uh, and he blesses them. And, and there's something that's important to clarify, and that is this. In Jesus' day, um, children were not looked on in the same way that we look on children now. They weren't examples of innocence uh, and of virtue and, and all things wonderful. Uh, and anyone uh, who's a parent recognizes the truth um, in, in all of that, 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 that sin and the human condition are, are very much present um, in the youngest uh, as well uh, as in you and me. But no, uh, in Jesus' day, uh, as he takes the children in his arms, as he blesses them, they were um, representative uh, of those who had no clout, uh, of those who had no credit, uh, of those who had no claim upon God. Basically, what they had to offer to this whole equation was their need, uh, was their weakness, was the fact um, that they brought nothing um, to the equation. And Jesus says, if you want to receive the kingdom of God, you must receive it like a little child. What's being communicated to you and to me is this, is that we receive the kingdom of God based not on our merits or accomplishments, but on the merits and the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. And what we bring to that equation, what we bring um, to receive the kingdom of God uh, is, is this, it's our need. 
uh, with the recognition um, that we receive it completely as a gift, that we receive it not based on any of our accomplishments, not based on any of our claims, not based on any of our merits, uh, but on um, our need alone. Uh, it is only empty hands that can be filled. I heard recently a wonderful story recounted by the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon shares a story about a gentleman, a 19th century evangelist by the name of Brownlow North. And Brownlow North apparently was a man uh, who had lived a notorious lifestyle for many years and had been converted and uh, became a, a preacher and an evangelist, one who gladly and freely proclaimed the amazing grace uh, of God. And apparently one time he was preparing to preach to a large congregation. And as he prepared to preach to uh, the large congregation, a stranger passed him a letter. And the letter on the outside said, read this before you preach. And uh, he did so. And as he opened um, the letter, it was a statement concerning his irregularities of conduct uh, that he had committed. Uh, and it ended with the words to this effect, how dare you? Being conscious of the truth of all the above, pray and speak to the people this evening when you are such a vile sinner. Um, I had uh, just that note passed to me uh, as I came into church today. And so um, he, he receives this note before he goes into the pulpit to preach. He, he places it in his pocket. Uh, and as he climbs into the pulpit before that large congregation, he pulls the letter out of his pocket, uh, places it down upon the lectern, and reads uh, the entirety uh, of that letter. And as he reads the entirety of that letter, he said, all of it's true. Uh, every uh, last bit of this uh, is true. And then he went on uh, to add this. Um, all that is here said is true. How wonderful must the grace of God be that I can appear before you tonight a vessel of mercy. One who knows that all his past sins have been cleansed away through the atoning blood of the Lamb of God. It is of his redeeming love that I have now to tell. And he included his address to the congregation that day with these words, I am here as the chief of sinners, saved by grace, and to tell you that the grace which has saved me uh, can surely save you. What a wonderful uh, message. What an absolutely uh, true message. Uh, and so what I pray that you hear this morning is this, of the amazing grace of God, which is extended to you uh, and to me. God by, by no means uh, sort of retreats or amends uh, the truth of his design, the truth of his will, his, the truth of his creation, that which is best um, for you and for me. And yet in the midst of us, there is the recognition that every last one of us uh, is, is broken, uh, is in need. Uh, can come in no way on our own merits to receive the grace of God, which so, must so necessarily be received by us. And so what I pray that you hear this day is what was shared with us, uh, that entrance into the kingdom of God, that tremendous freedom that we see was present in Brownlow North, the, the freedom that enabled them to say, you know what, um, all of this is absolutely true, and yet I have been and I am loved by God. Uh, saved by God, a recipient of His mercy. Uh, I pray that we would indeed come with open hands 
uh, realizing that we have nothing to give and yet everything to gain. Uh, and in coming with those open hands, uh, might find ourselves filled with the grace, uh, the mercy, the love, the power of God made available to us in Jesus, uh, in his cross, and his resurrection. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks uh, and praise that though we come uh, in no merit of our own, uh, that you uh, receive us in the mercy of Jesus, your Son. Uh, cleanse our sins, most gracious God. Shape and fashion us in your image. Make us new with the fullness of life which is found in you. And this we ask in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.